Welcome to Fear and Greed Sunday feature. I'm Michael Thompson and hello, Adam Lang. Hello, Michael. Adam, every Sunday we like to go into the Fear and Greed vault, which I kind of picture as being like kind of Fort Knox kind of thing and multiple kind of security doors and codes and locks and things. Harry Potter, Gringotts. Perfect. And in fact, all of our old interviews are guarded by a dragon. (laughs) So we have ventured past the dragon today in order to find a great interview from the past to give a bit of good Sunday listening this week. With former Westpac CEO Brian Hartzer back in the news, we thought it was a very good time to revisit an interview with Brian from April 2021. Yeah, that's right, Michael. And I've had the pleasure of bumping into Brian a couple of times and also people that have worked for him. And they all universally say what a great experience it was. And so it was two years ago that we had Brian on Fear and Greed to talk to Sean Aylmer about running a major company like Westpac and the principles of leadership that he used and that he learned to refine while he was working in those massive roles and he turned them into a book called The Leadership Star. He's also been in the news this week because he's taking over data analytics and artificial intelligence player Quantium Health. So listeners might remember he's been an advisor to Quantium Health since 2020 And you can guarantee the principles of leadership that he talks about in this interview will be on display again as he steps into that top job at Quantium. Yeah, he's a really interesting person. He's so well-spoken. He's a terrific communicator. He's very engaged and engaging. It is a great interview. I really hope you enjoy it. Michael, do you reckon that Brian might even just hand out a few copies of his book to his executive team when he joins? There's not many people that can do that. I reckon he he should. If he doesn't, he certainly should because it's the kind of thing that you would imagine that he's going to kind of implement the strategies in there and maybe they'd be autographed, little signed (laughs) signed copies to the executive team. That's a nice touch. I've brought a little present. Nice to meet you. Here you go. But anyway, look, it is a great interview. It is really enjoyable and so please enjoy the Sunday feature. There are few people in Australian business who have experienced more ups and downs than Brian Hartzer. His 30-year career in banking saw him hold senior roles at institutions including ANZ and the Royal Bank of Scotland, but he's best known for his almost five-year stint as Chief Executive Officer of Westpac from 2015 till the end of 2019. It was a particularly turbulent time for the banking industry broadly and for Westpac. Brian steered the bank through the Royal Commission into the sector and was at the helm when Austrac charged Westpac with 23 million breaches of anti-money laundering laws, largely relating to the bank's failure to report international transfers. Amid mounting political pressure, Brian resigned his position in 2019. Being a CEO of a very large, high-profile company would be tough enough under normal circumstances, but in the unique environment of the period in which Brian ran Westpac, the challenges and pressures would have been immense. He's now taken everything he learnt about leadership, not just from Westpac, but his whole career, and turned it into a book, The Leadership Star. I'm pleased to say that Brian Hartzer is my guest this morning on Fear and Greed. Morning, Brian. Good morning, Sean. Thanks for having me. Before we get to the specifics of the book, just how tough was it to run a big business like Westpac? Well, it's always going to be challenging when you've got a company that large, but certainly in the last decade, it's been a particularly challenging time for banks. I suppose in my case, I knew what I was getting into because I'd been at ANZ during the financial crisis. And then I worked at the Royal Bank of Scotland after it blew up and worked through the recovery of that and saw the challenges that a big company can face. And having worked closely with 
a number of bank CEOs, I, I knew what I was getting myself into, but it, it certainly it certainly did end up pretty challenging in a number of respects. What I really admire about people like yourself who run those big organizations is the ability to handle left field events. And there must have been a lot of left field events coming at you all the time. There were. There were. That is certainly a feature of it, particularly in a bank when you're plugged into all the different parts of the economy and you have such an enormous customer base and such an enormous staff base. There are always things that come up and you have to be reasonably philosophical about it. I felt very lucky in a way that I had had all the experiences I'd had before I got to that job because it allowed me to stay calm through the whole period. Bank bashing in Australia particularly, it's almost a national pastime and it sort of ebbs and flows a little bit, but the industry has certainly evolved post-Royal Commission and I think last year was a very good year for the sector simply because they played a really important sort of shock absorber role supporting the economy during the pandemic. Do you think that has changed public opinion or do you think bank bashing will always be a bit of a national pastime in Australia? Well, I hope the response of the banks in the last year is seen as evidence of the genuine intent by the banks to support the economy. A, a smart banker knows that unless the economy and the customers do well, the bank doesn't do well. But I also think it's fair to say, I, I understand the fact that customers are always going to have this question mark because they see these enormous profits that banks earn and they think, well, gee, that must be exploiting me somehow. And they don't understand and understandably don't understand the complexity that banks have, the number of different businesses they're in. And money is a deeply emotional topic for people. So whenever you see something like that and you feel that it's somehow coming at your expense, it's understandable that people would have that reaction to banks. And to some extent, I think that's just the way it always will be. But that's not an excuse. And clearly with the Royal Commission, some of the things that came out of that, there were a number of things that banks should have done better and, and I think have, have learned from. But there will always be some level of suspicion, I suspect. It's just a tough gig, I think, running big organizations. Do you think there's more scrutiny in Australia? And you've worked overseas and you've operated overseas. Do you think there's more scrutiny in Australia or is it normal across the globe for CEOs to come under so much pressure? Well, whenever you're the CEO of a company, you're ultimately accountable for everything that goes on. And you go into those jobs understanding that that sort of thing can ultimately happen. I would say that the personalization in the CEO in Australia is pretty far out there relative to what happens at other companies around the world. And I think it is exacerbated by the media and political environment that we have here, which puts so much focus on on this idea of, of personal accountability of the CEO. But that's the way it is, and there are great privileges in, in getting to run an organization like that, so you have to accept it. So let's talk about the leadership style. Where did the name come from? Well, I'd read lots of business books over the years. I don't have an MBA, and I often found that you'd finish a book and you'd forget what you'd read. And I felt that if I was going to write a book that was going to be useful to people, it needed to be something that was memorable, that people could take something away from them after they had read it. And the book revolves around a five-point framework. It's five things that start with C. And so I was just trying to create a visual way to think about it. And I thought, well, gee, five points, five points of a star. Okay, we'll call it the leadership star. So the idea is that if you've read the book or you read the, even the introduction and you see what the framework is, you can think, okay leadership star, five points, five things start with C, and hopefully recreate the book in your mind without having to go back and read it again. Stay with me, Brian. We'll be back in a moment. My guest today is Brian Hartzer, former boss of Westpac and author of the just-released book, The Leadership Star. 
So if you look at the five points, the five C's care, context, clarity, clear the way and celebrate. So care, that's self-evident. Context is the one that really made me think a little bit. I wasn't quite sure where it was coming from. Sure. Well, just before I do that, I'd say care might be self-evident, but the subtlety is, although if you ask managers, do you care about your people? Everyone will say yes. But if you ask people, does your manager care about you? Not everyone will say yes. And that's because the point I make in the book is that care is an action verb. And it's a question of what are you actually doing to demonstrate that you care about people as individual human beings, rather than just this generic human resources that you care about. So I I wouldn't want to downplay the importance of care. On context, the point of engagement is that you're trying to create emotional connection between the things that are important to an employee and the things that matter to the company. And to, to get that emotional connection, you need to explain a sense of purpose. You need to explain why. You need to explain why the company exists, why it contributes beyond just making money for shareholders. And you need to help people link what's important to them as people to that overall goal. So let me bring that to life. I, in my career, I've visited lots of bank branches. And I would often walk into a bank branch and I would introduce myself around and I would say to someone, okay, so what do you do? And they would often say, well, I'm just a teller. And I would think, wow, well, clearly we have a problem with the manager in this branch. Because if someone thinks they're just a teller, then they miss the point that that is actually one of the most important roles in a bank, because that's the face of the bank to many, many customers. And so making sure people understand how important they are to the overall purpose and that that purpose is something worthy, I think is really important if you want to get emotional engagement. It's almost like a broader version of vision. So you have the vision, but how you fit into that vision almost. Yeah, I I like to start with purpose almost more than vision. I mean, vision, Mm -hmm. it's important to have a sense of where you're trying to get to. But I think in a a large company, if you can be genuine about a sense of purpose and a contribution that you're making beyond earning money for shareholders, and and returns are important to be sustainable for any company. But if you want people to feel really good about what they're doing, not that many people – including senior executives, including, frankly, lots of investment bankers, hop out of bed every morning thinking, gee, I really want to go make some returns for my shareholders. Yeah. You know, the, the actual emotional drivers are deeper. And, and effectively, what I'm trying to say here is that you need to identify that and help people build an alignment between what's important to them and what's important to the company. Okay. Clarity is the third C. Yeah. So clarity breaks down into three parts. Role clarity, goal clarity, and behavioral clarity. And these all, a lot of these things sound obvious, but the point that I'm making is that a lot of managers make an assumption and don't do it. So take role clarity, for example. So if you went and hired, let's say you're working in a startup and you go and hire someone who's a product manager from, say, Uber. And you think, right, you, you've been a product manager at Uber, you can be a product manager at our company. Well, six months later, it may turn out that what a product manager did at Uber might be quite different than what you expect them to do in your company. And if you haven't sat down and really gone through that in detail and made sure everybody understands the expectations and what their degrees of freedom are and what they're responsible for, then you're setting them up for failure. So making sure people really know what their job is, making sure what they know what a good result looks like and what a great result looks like, and making sure they know what behavior is appropriate. And it's, it's the discipline of actually doing that rather than going, oh, yes, well, that's an obvious thing, but I'll just assume that everybody knows. Clear the way. I love that one. Yeah. So the idea here is that 
if you work through this and you say, okay, people know why we're here, they know what's expected of them, they know what good looks like, they know what they need to achieve, but then there can be all sorts of barriers that get in the way of people achieving that. So they can be resource constraints, they could be physical working environment barriers, but they could also be invisible things as well, like um, I don't have the right training, or I've got emotional hangups that get me in the way, or there are political things going on that are stopping me from being successful. And again, the idea here is that as a leader, you need to be proactive in actually understanding from the employee's point of view, what are those barriers and what can I do to help knock those barriers over so people can get on and deliver. Okay. And celebrate. Celebrate is really about recognition and it's about creating a reinforcing positive cycle so that as people get achievement, you're recognizing them in ways that reinforce to them that this is something worth doing. And the subtlety around this is most people, when they think about recognition, think, oh, we'll pay in promotion. But actually, if you're trying to build emotional links with people, there can be many, many other things that you can do that actually make a bigger impact than just some sort of mechanistic human resource process. So mm. really recognizing people as individuals, finding out what's important to them, giving them new opportunities, understanding what their ambitions are and, and how you can help them achieve that. Lots of different ideas that are in the book about ways you can bring to life recognition that go beyond the, the standard things. We'll be back in a moment. I'm talking to former boss of Westpac and author of just released book, The Leadership Star, Brian Hartzer. Now you've worked overseas and here, have you seen companies that have just done this really well or three, three or four of the five of them that they've done really well? I've seen lots of examples of this. If I look at one of the things that started me on this path years ago, I was in consulting and I was working in San Francisco and I worked with Charles Schwab, which is an investment company in the US. And the loyalty that, that they built there and the sense of mission and purpose that they had to really reshape the way the financial industry worked was, was amazing. And I saw that up front. Another one, uh, another American example that happens is there's a company called USAA, which is an insurance company that serves government employees and military people. They have one of the highest customer satisfaction scores that you'd ever see in any kind of company, let alone a financial services company. And when you go there and you talk to the people, the motivation and the engagement is just amazing. And they, they really demonstrated for example, you'd go in there and they would ask them about the company and they would say, well, well, we're a military organization. We serve the people who serve. And then they would say, and that's really important to me because my father was in the military and my brother's in the military. And so if we do a really good job of looking after people in the military, then they can look after their families well. And you would hear this from everybody you spoke to. It was really quite amazing. And, and what you're talking about, presumably it's even more important when there is a pandemic or when you're in the middle of a royal commission, in some ways it's easier to run a business, of course, when times are good, but these sorts of things come to the fore when times are tough. Yeah. There's a chapter in the book about managing during crisis. And I've, uh, as my career's played out, I've been through quite a number of them. And what I find is that this framework still works, but, but the emphasis shifts a little bit. In the first place, it's important that you've laid the groundwork because you've helped people understand what the purpose of the company is. And, and so therefore, when you're doing things, you're reinforcing we still have this commitment, but here's what we need to do now. So you you can tap into that well of emotional connection that you've you've made. But if you take the care angle, for example, well, you think about during the crisis, people move through, one way to think about it is Maslow's hierarchy. So in good times, people are thinking about 
their careers, their, their passions, their thinking about how they can feel fulfilled at work and so forth. When you suddenly get into a crisis like we've just had, all of a sudden they start worrying about more fundamental things like, do I have a job? How do I provide for my family? Is my family safe? Am I, am I physically safe? And, and so you need to think about how you adapt the messaging as a leader to where people are at at that point in time. And then from a, a clarity point of view, for example, when you're in a crisis, you, you don't necessarily have the time to, to bring everyone along and build consensus around things. You have to make decisions. You have to move fast. You have to have real clarity of accountability as to who's doing what and what empowerment they have. The framework, I think, stays the same, but the, the way you execute it becomes a bit different. When you look back on your career, how do you, you think about your time leading big businesses and, and you know, World Bank of Scotland, ANZ, Westpac, obviously, you had some really big roles. When you look back, how, were you able broadly to bring these concepts to the fore? Yeah, I think when I look back, the thing that I'm most proud of really is the progress we made in growing some of these businesses and also, and maybe even more importantly, the growth that different leaders had that I worked with and, and the ability to help them be successful. And, and I know I've had lots of feedback from people over the years about how this framework has helped them become better leaders and, and attribute their, a lot of their success to, to applying this in practice every day. And so I guess I, when I look back, for me, I, I think of the people, I think of the, the fun times we had, I think of the laughs we had, and I think about the, the changes we were able to make in the companies that led to things that mattered to customers. Yeah, there must be parts of running a big business, though, that you don't miss. Well, the long board meetings and, <laughs> and all the governance and regulatory interactions, I, I can't say that I miss those twice-a-year sessions at the House of Reps either. Uh, yeah. As I'm sure you <laughs> could appreciate. No, I, could, I could imagine. So, so what next, Brian? So the book's available now. It is. It is. Yeah. And so, so what next for you? You're, you know, you're too young to put your feet up yet. Yeah. Well, I love running businesses. I, I, I've always – the thing that was great about banks was that you had all these different businesses with different customer segments and different competitive challenges. and new technology and so on. And so I find myself really drawn to more entrepreneurial type ventures. So I'm working with a number of startups here in Australia that that I think are, are quite exciting and helping them think about how they move from having a product to running an actual business. I'm working with some former colleagues on a, on a new business idea of my own, which is, which is kind of fun. And uh, I'm doing a bit of consulting. I've, I've got an advisory role with Quantium, which is a Sydney-based data science company. They do amazing things, incredible people there. And I've always been really drawn to the data side of things, the technology side of things. And one of the great pleasures of the of the situation I find myself in is that I can spend a lot more of my time learning about and contributing to those areas rather than working on all the process stuff that ended up consuming quite a lot of my time. Fair enough, Brian. Thank you for talking to Fear and Greed. It's a pleasure. Nice to talk to you, Sean. That was Brian Hartz, a former boss of Westpac and author of the just-released book, The Leadership Star.